Amen. Well, good morning, Salem Chapel. It's good to see you today and be with you here as we uh, open up God's Word. My name is Mark Duncan. I'm the discipleship pastor here. So if it's your first time here at Salem, let me just say a big uh, warm welcome to you. Thank you that you have joined us today uh, in the Lord's house. Uh, Before we jump into God's Word this morning, I did just want to take a moment to just reflect on uh, how this has been a bit of a hard week uh, for many of us here in Forsyth County. And uh, I think as uh, we reflect on the events uh, that happened at Tabor, we uh, certainly are praying for all of the students and the families uh, there at the school and, uh, and the staff as well, and as some of them actually attend here at Salem. And so we are equally uh, grieved uh, by that. I think that there are unique opportunities in, uh, in this time in which we live uh, to represent the church as something different in times where there are very difficult things to process. And even ourselves, like processing how the, these things happen is difficult to understand, right? But I believe that there's a great calling when Scripture calls us to be a people who rejoice with those who rejoice, but equally to be a people who weep with those who weep. And I'm reminded of the compassion of Jesus when he stood outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And even though Jesus knew what the end would be for Lazarus, that he was literally going to resurrect him in just a few minutes' time, what did he do in that time with Lazarus' family? He cried with them. He wept with them. I think there's something holy about grieving what sin has wrought in this world. I believe that is right at the very heart of our Lord and Savior, right? And so in times like this, when we're tempted and questions come into our mind, dare I say, uh, how could a loving God let something like a school shooting happen? We need to return to the word of God and open that up and let us, let that tell us about God's story and about his position that he wasn't just sitting back with his hands up when bad things happen in our world, but that at the very first instance of what sin and brokenness did into our world, he at that moment proclaimed that victory would be won in his son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. And although we are living in that in-between of now and not yet, of finally seeing what the fullness of what that would look like in this place as a people that have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we have the gift and the responsibility to be hope in a land where there is no hope, to be a light in a dark place. And so I pray this week, first off, that uh, for those of you that are wrestling with this, that you would find comfort in the Holy Spirit. That is what his role is, to find hope in what Jesus Christ has already won and to be hope to those that are around you, to represent a different kingdom. And let us train our minds to go to God's word and see what he says about himself and let him tell us what he's doing and let that be the pattern of our life. We're actually gonna do that this morning so we can look at his promises in his word. So go ahead, if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter eight this morning. Luke chapter eight. I'm actually gonna read a fairly familiar uh, passage in Scripture. If you're familiar with uh, Jesus' teachings, uh, he often taught in a form of storytelling called parables. And really the idea behind parables were these were very relatable stories to the culture at the time 
that anyone can recognize. In many cases, a lot of Jesus' stories uh, were very agricultural type of stories because an agrarian society. All right, but they weren't just stories for the sake of storytelling. They actually had a deeper significance. They referenced a reality in his kingdom. And so Jesus would often communicate through parables. And this is one of the more well-known parables. Uh, parables In your Bible, it may say the parable of the sower. Really, that's about a bit of a misnomer. It should be maybe the parable of the soils because that's really what it comes down to are the soils. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start reading in verse number four. This is a little bit of a longer passage and I would normally read all at once. We're going to go to verse 15. So I'm just going to ask you to buckle up and read along with me so we can just read it all the way through, all right? Then we'll go back and unpack it. All right, verse number four says, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him as Jesus, he spoke to him in a parable saying, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to pause there for a second to say Jesus often repeated that phrase because there was something that he was trying to make a point, especially to his disciples that were often there with him, that some people are here present that are hearing this, and to them, this is just bouncing off their head as some sort of like mindless proverb, mindless wisdom, right? But for those that the Holy Spirit has allowed to see and hear, there is something deeper to grab onto. And so this is where he continues. He's going to explain what he was talking about. Go to verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Uh, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying that he desires people to be confused. He's just saying that because of a relationship with God, if we, if we have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, then he makes clear what his word is to us and how we should respond to that. But before that, before we have a relationship with Christ, a lot of times we don't know. Like we're born into that blindness and we wrestle with that. So he's saying, you are under, you're asking the right questions when you say, what does this mean? And so now he explains at verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, then a time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and a good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. All right, so we have this parable of the soils. The first three, there's something significantly going on with those three soils that keep them from doing the desired outcome, which is to what? Bear fruit, right? To produce fruit. But then there's the fourth one, 
The fourth one is prepare to receive the seed. All right, let me give you a personal illustration of how I've come to understand some of this in a very unique way. About seven years ago, I was going through a very difficult season of ministry and I actually had to step back for a little bit from my full-time responsibilities as a pastor and really process. All right, have you ever been in seasons like that where something just hits you and you kind of have to step back and say, God, you've got, to, you've got to take care of me, right? You've got to build me up and I had to do that, all right? It felt, yes, it felt like a failure. It was very confusing time in my life. It was difficult. And literally all I had to grab onto was this church and my Savior Jesus Christ to give me guidance in that season. But in that season, God was faithful to me. He provided me with work for my hands, uh, managing a 300-acre cattle farm. You act surprised. I assure you that you are not more surprised than I was, okay? That was not something that I ever expected that I would be doing, was managing a farm and working on a farm and and growing crops and tending to cattle. Those were not things that I did. I worked in an office before that, all right? The greatest length of experience I had in growing things were a couple of tomato plants on the back patio. Not exactly a, a long resume of faithful farming, you know? I didn't come from a family of farmers. So... And to my surprise, God's provision, maybe not what I expected, but honestly, in so many ways, it was what I needed in that season. As I got out there and I put my hands in the dirt and I planted seeds, literally, and saw them grow. And one of the, the tasks that I had right out of the gate, which at the time, like, I, I, now I look at it and I'm like, that was a lot bigger than I realized, but like it, it was, there was so much of a learning curve in this. But one of the tasks was assigned to me right out of the gate was like, All right, you need to go plant six acres of corn over here. This to the guy who has never driven a tractor up to this point. Um, like I said, my, my background in growing things is, is picking up some seedlings that if someone's already done the hard work from Lowe's and putting them in a pot and saying, look, I made t- planted tomatoes, right? That's all I had going for me. You're going to plant six acres of corn. What I was so unaware of when I said this will be fun was how much work was going to be involved just getting the cornfield ready to plant the seeds, right? Aren't this the idea, like you just take seeds and you put them in the ground and they grow, right? Like that's the idea behind a seed, at least in theory. No, you have to do so much work before you get to the planting phase. In fact, there's actually a term for that process of preparing the soil to receive the seed. It's called Cultivation. Cultivation. See, three of those soils in the parable lacked cultivation in a very real way. You got the hard soil, right? Then you have the soil with the rocks in it. Then you have the thorny or the weedy soil. Each soil contained potential to receive the seed but each contained a major problem that kept the seed from doing its work. What was different about the good soil? It was made ready to receive the seed. It didn't just happen that way. Even if you're an amateur gardener, you understand 
Soil doesn't just happen to be good soil. It takes work. It takes a process. It's cultivated. We talk about that in terms of of what does that mean for us spiritually? What is Jesus trying to get at with this simple illustration of different kinds of dirt? The different kinds of dirt that he says here are different realities that are in our own hearts. They're in our own hearts. And we live in this tension. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ that he promises the gift of his Holy Spirit to prompt me at the cultivation that needs to be done in my heart so that I'm ready to receive his word and obey it. And the other part of that tension is, am I actually going to do it? Am I going to do the things that he's revealing to me need to be taken care of? Because I have a choice. So I want you to hold on to something, though, today. As we go through the rest of this passage, this is the, big, the main idea for today. The cultivation of our hearts will determine the fruit in our lives. The cultivation, that daily process of cultivating our hearts to receive the word of God will determine if we see the fruit that he promises. But I need you to hold on to two truths as we think about this today. One, the seed is good. The seed is always good. God's word does not fail. God's word always completes what it is set forth to do. Isaiah 55 tells us that the seed isn't the problem. And this is the second truth. The sower, the sower is able The Holy Spirit is taking the word of God and impressing it upon my life. He is not dropping his ball at all. He is not faulty in what he is able to do. The seed is good and the sower is able. The question is, is the soil ready? Is the soil ready? Now, you may have looked at this parable as we read it, and you, and you have heard it a, a thousand times, okay? And you've already, it's already impressed upon your heart what, are you, what you're going to take away from this sermon today. If you were hoping today that we were going to jump into this passage and explain which one of the soils were the ones that were actually saved and which ones were not, you're going to be sadly disappointed. That's not what we're doing today. Because whether you just have come to meet Jesus Christ or whether you haven't or whether you've walked with him for 20, 30, 40 years, the reality of your heart, just like the reality of that cornfield that I spent countless hours in the hot sun working on, is that you will find all four of those kinds of soils in your heart at any given time. Just because you first came to Jesus Christ and you accepted him as Lord and Savior at your grandmother's church in Bible school when you were six years old, does not mean that the gospel is not still changing you today. And it doesn't still have power for today. And it certainly doesn't mean that you need to take your hands off the, the figurative plow and just let your heart go crazy. Because your heart is wired like my heart is. And scripture tells me it is desperately wicked. And it's willing to grow all kinds of things. So the question that kind of goes along with that main idea I said earlier that I want you to hold in your heart today 
is this. In obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit, am I prepared to enter into the hard work of daily cultivating my heart so that I might experience the fruit of the gospel in my life? Are you willing? Are you willing today as he uses his word to reveal things in your heart? Are you willing today to do the hard work of addressing those things so that you can be made ready for what he wants to bear in your life? So I'm going to show you today through God's word three distinct ways that the Holy Spirit invites us to cultivate our hearts so that we might experience the mature fruit of the gospel. Here's the first one. I'll give it to you right out of the gate. He will lovingly confront me when I am refusing to listen. He'll lovingly confront me. Isn't that a great pairing? A loving, a loving confrontation? Some of you are like, I don't really know what that looks like. All right? Well, the Holy Spirit is the master of it. Right? A loving confrontation, like a velvet hammer right upside the head. You know, right? It hurts, but not too much. Right? He lovingly will confront me when I'm refusing to listen. Notice back in the passage there in verse number 15, uh, excuse me, uh, back in verse number, let's see, I lost my place here. Verse number 12, he talks about the, the, the seed that falls along the path are those who have heard that the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You talk about uh, compacted soil here. It's really the illustration. Not unlike where you would have the tracks for your tractor driving over back and forth. As that heavy piece of machinery drives back and forth across the field, it actually presses the soil down and makes it hard. The cornfield that I, that I had to grow each year kind of was a unique situation in that it was designed for wildlife. And so we would actually flood the cornfield every single year in October and make a, a pond down there essentially with corn in it. Uh, the hard part about that is, and where it really created a lot of more work for me, was that in the spring, when it was time to start getting things ready again, really early spring, because it, that soil had been underwater for so long, and because so much machinery had run over, it was like a rock. Man, it was hard as a rock. Now, you may not know much about how growing things works, but there's actually a couple problems with that. One is that, believe it or not, you need air inside the soil. You actually need air in there for processes to happen that they're supposed to do. You also need there to be a way for the water to actually go into the soil. I know it seems kind of crazy. Like, you flood the soil. Wouldn't it just be saturated with water? Believe it or not, it just hardens like a thick crust. So, it's so hard, nothing can get down into the lower parts of it. So you know what you have to do with compacted soil? You have to get out there. One of my favorite farm implements, so much satisfaction with this, was an amazing tool called a ripper. It's a great name. It's exactly what it does. It's got two giant, like 30-inch steel teeth that you put on the back of a tractor, and you literally just bury them in the ground. you got to have a real, like, strong tractor to do this. I learned that the hard way. Caused a lot of damage to my boss's tractor, but he was gracious. He had never used one either, so he was like, whatever. But I stuck that thing in the ground, and I take off of that tractor, and it just literally rips giant, 
holes across the entire field, just big, deep trenches. And like when you're done with it, like the ground looks like it's like had earthquakes everywhere. It's just like torn apart, right? Really painful. <laughs> if you think about that, if, if the Holy Spirit has to use something like a ripper in my heart because I'm so hard to, you know, I'm so hardened to listen to what he has to say that he has to use something incredibly significant to break through the layers of my heart that I have developed as a defense against that. These compacted areas of soil in our heart, another way to think about that, these de- these are departments of my heart that have closed doors to God. It's departments of my heart where I have said, no, God, this is my area, and I've locked the door. You can hang out over here. These are the, the parts of my life that I give you position, I give you permission to touch and to change, but this is mine. So please stop knocking on this part of my heart. These could be blind spots, Right, things that I don't see, that's a reality too. That's one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit is, is he's loving to point out things that I'm not even seeing. Sometimes that's through his word. Sometimes that's through loving people that are willing to be honest with me and say, like, I don't know if you see this, but here's something I see happening in your life. And I'm like, ooh, that stings a little bit. But I know you are following Jesus, so I need to pay attention to that. There could be conscious areas, areas of hardness. Areas where I'm unwilling to change. That might be an area of unrepentant sin. Where I'm choosing to walk in darkness when God calls me to walk in the light as he is in the light. It could be an area of bitterness due to someone else's sin. Ever thought about that? You know, sometimes when you're wounded by someone, especially, let's, let's, let's make it real personal. Wounded by someone in the church. That almost takes it to another level, right? And we throw up those walls. And in our own self-righteousness, we are like, I deserve justice. And until I get justice, I'm going to surround myself into this little cocoon and nobody's getting into here. Because for sure there's nothing wrong with me because it's everyone else that has been doing these things, right? That bitterness can become a blind spot to the reality of my own heart. Because I have so many fingers I can point at other people. Could be areas of defeat in your heart. These are areas where you've accepted, this is just how I am. Or you know what, this is, it's always been like this, so it's probably always going to be this way. And to be honest, you can't see a different way of living because you've gotten so comfortable living in that hardness that it's just, I've just lost out. God could never do something for me. God could never change me. Could be areas of unbelief because God's will wasn't what I expected it to be. Call this a crisis of faith, where I suddenly realize that, that God's greatest good for me does not always line up with my definition of what that should be. The seed is still good, the soil is hard. Here's a reality, friends Jesus will not stay in a box in your heart. 
He's going after the whole thing. He loves you and me enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. But he's also strategic enough that he uses the right tool for the job. Maybe he doesn't need a ripper to tear apart your life because you're so stubborn. Maybe it's only a small area of unbelief and he just lightly goes over that with something like a plow, right? Let's just pull back that top layer just a little bit. And instead of looking at that as, as God is trying to harm me, he is hurting me. This, the Holy Spirit is showing painful things to me that I'm not sure I want to accept those. Instead of seeing it that way, I need to see it as an act of gracious love that he's not going to let me sit over in the corner and miss out on the blessings that he has for me. But he's gonna have to break through that hard, compacted soil. And I have a choice. I have a choice. Am I going to resist the rending of my heart by the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to surrender to a beautiful surgery where he goes in and identifies the hardness and offers to take it away as I bow the knee to him? Hebrews 4.12 tells us the reality of this one. It says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, we, we approach that all too often. We think when we open up God's word that we are reading it, but in reality, the word of God is reading me. It looks at my heart it tells me what I need and gives me the prescribed steps of obedience to experience the life that I should have in Jesus Christ. But it only is effective. The seed is only effective if the ground can be broken. It's interesting that the way that Jesus describes what happens to the seed on the path is that the birds carry it off and then later he qualifies it by saying that the devil the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe it you know what the what the two things are that the enemy loves he loves a hard heart and a neglected bible because he knows he knows if you are so stubborn there cannot possibly some, be something that you need to address. And you're not looking at the very thing that could do the work of exposing that. And he knows that he can keep you from hearing from God. And if he can do that, then you won't believe the promises of God. And you won't experience the blessing of the fruit that he wishes to bear in a changed life in you. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to surrender to the surgery of his word? This is the second thing the Holy Spirit does. He will carefully expose the vulnerabilities of a shallow faith. The vulnerabilities of a shallow faith. What are we talking about here? Verse 13, the seed that falls on the rocky soil. Those who hear the word receive it with joy, but they have no root. And they believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. We're talking about shallow roots here. 
It's the idea of like there being rocks under the soil. Maybe you can see them, maybe you cannot, but they're a false bottom to a deep faith in Jesus Christ, like sitting just below the surface. Step away from that for a second. Let's get out of the agriculture illustrations for a second. That's another thing I got from a few years at the farm. Unlimited lifetime supply of agriculture sermon, sermon illustrations. <laughs> Step away from that. Um, how many of you are Olympics fans? You like watching any kind of really sports, all right? So, this, you know, we had the Olympics a few weeks ago. Um, something I've always uh, thought would be an absolute, like, must for the Olympics was to maybe have, like, uh, in whatever sports you have, let's say diving, for example, you have, like, diving. You have these guys that can go up there and do three flips and a half twist, and they only make, like, a tiny splash, right? But then you have, after all the people that know what they're doing, get a, give a dive. Like, they have one guy, one, like, middle-aged dad guy like me, all right, that comes out there in a pair of board shorts, you know, and a gut kind of hanging over, and he goes up on the high dive, and he just, like, jumps off and does the biggest cannonball or the biggest belly flopper that you've ever seen, right? And then just, just to have that for a point of reference to, for the rest of the people that are there, maybe encouragement for the athletes that don't get a medal, it's like, I mean... Totally could be worse, right? Like, I totally think that was fun. Let's just say, for example, I decided that at the next Olympics in four years, I'm going to be a champion diver, all right? That's a, that would be a very big surprise for me if that happened. But let's just say that that's a goal that I have. And so I decided to go down to my neighborhood pool, down to Polo Pool, all right? And I go out to Polo Pool, and I, I get some stretches in, you know, got my board shorts on. Stand right on the edge of the pool, all right? I'm just about to jump in. What do you think that that 18-year-old lifeguard is going to do the moment I start to dive into the three-foot end of the pool? They're going to blow every bit of that power trip whistle that they have <laughs> and say something like, sir, please do not dive into the shallow end of the pool. Or you get kicked out, right? Why? Why do they say things like that? Why is it plastered around the edge of the pool? No diving. Because it's dangerous. Because there's not enough depth to do the thing that I want to do. This idea of the rocky soil, maybe it gives an appearance of health on the top because there are some things that I'm receiving from the Lord. I can see a measure of growth in my life, but just under the surface, there are little false half-truths that I'm really standing upon, right? We'll call them Jesus Plus. It kind of sounds like a new streaming TV service, right? Jesus Plus, right? Here's an example of a rock below the surface. Jesus Plus relational stability. My hope, my confidence is in Jesus Christ as long as all of my relationships stay in healthy places. That's one that we live on. Jesus Plus financial security, as long as I'm making that money and living that lifestyle that I think I, should, I deserve and should have, then Jesus is right there with me. Jesus plus personal achievement. All about listening to you, God, as long as it, my life is working out the way that I have planned. And people are recognizing that. Really, you could sum them all up, I think, in this one as well. Jesus plus personal autonomy. As long as I can do 
whatever I want to do and live the way I want to live, then Jesus, you have a place in my life. But the consequences of living in that rocky soil and not doing the hard work of cultivating by pulling out the rocks, that is not a fun job, by the way. It is not pleasant to have to dig up big rocks in a real field. It's not pleasant as well to recognize that for a large, maybe a large portion of my life, that something right below the surface has been truly what I have been depending on. And my, my faith in Jesus Christ is so shallow that it never had a chance to grow to greater depths because I've been leaning on something else. The Spirit in his love is warning me, warning me, danger, danger. You're, you're vulnerable to being overwhelmed by adversity. What does that look like to live that way? It's a cultural comfort Christian. That's the kind of person that says, Jesus is my buddy as long as he's not controversial. He won't uh, be your friend for very long, I'm afraid. It's also like a Jesus take the wheel type of Christian. That's when my life is spinning out of control. I need you. But when everything is smooth sailing, I got it. Or it's a Jesus in my image, imago me, Christian. Jesus, is, Jesus just wants me to be happy. He's lo- Jesus is loving. So I translate that to mean he really just wants me to determine what is best for me. What that is saying is I'm satisfied with just a taste of Jesus. I don't care about the fruit. I just want to taste the problem is, we don't recognize the danger that we're in. When it talks about when, when testing comes, I believe Jeremiah 17 captures it best. This is in verses 5 and 6. It says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. His heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He'll dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That is what it is like to live on a rocky soil of Jesus plus something else. I'm willing to settle for just getting by. But the problem is the heat is going to turn up and it's going to turn up and it's going to turn up. I don't know if you have noticed that culturally, in many ways, the heat is turning up right now. And we are seeing the reality, and this is a grievous reality, something that we should also weep about. We are seeing a grievous reality of the church, the people of God, where all too many of us have been living a half-truth and Jesus-plus mentality. And when all of the comfortable things are starting to be challenged, when those rocks are starting to be exposed, instead of saying, Holy Spirit, help me get this out of my life and let me dig roots deeper, we're saying, I'm just going to push through a little more. But the heat is getting hotter and hotter. What is he calling us to do? The last part of that passage in Jeremiah gives us the other side, the other option. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when the heat comes, for his leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of the drought, for it does not cease to bear what fruit? Fruit comes from deep roots. We should expect the heat. That's not optional. That's the reality of living in the broken world that we are in. And it doesn't matter how temporarily secure those rocks feel under my feet. They are blocking the life that Jesus is offering me in himself through putting deep, deep, deep faith, being comfortable being carried by him. Will you dig up the rocks? Will you dig up the rocks under the surface that have been a source of strength and comfort in favor of deeper dependence on Jesus Christ? It takes cultivation. It's not easy. This is the last one. Holy Spirit will faithfully identify the distractions that hinder the development of mature fruit. Go back to verse 14. As for that which fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit. What does not mature? You know, the first year I had to plant that cornfield. I didn't realize that I needed to become a botanist, all right, to understand all of the different kinds of plants that would attempt to grow in the cornfield other than the corn that I put there. It was a never-ending task. Like when I first planted, the very first year, put the corn in the ground, I go out like a few days later after a good rain, and all of a sudden I see all of these green sprouts. I'm like, wow, look at that. I don't know why I thought this was going to be hard. Look at all this life just going everywhere in this soil, right? (laughs) But then I didn't pay attention for a week or so or doing other things. And I came back later and all of those little sprouts, I suddenly realized the bulk of them were not corn. There were some little baby corn sprouts, little tiny ones. But in the span of the time that that little tiny corn stalk came out of the ground, all of these weeds came up from everywhere, and they're growing in and amongst the corn. And then they started growing faster and faster and faster. Poor little corn is trying to catch up, you know? It's trying to do his thing, but the weeds are getting bigger and the leaves are getting bigger. Sometimes it's hard to tell a weed at the beginning. Because a lot of times weeds have the appearance of being healthy things. And I'm not saying that they aren't healthy things. It's just that what a weed will do, first of all, a weed does not produce fruit. You know what a weed produces? More weeds. More weeds. It never produces the godly fruit by turning to things that are other than what God has said is for me. It's never going to produce godly things. 
he gives some examples of those common weeds back in verse 14. He says, the cares of this life, right, worry, anxiety, really just kind of trying to manage all the things that are happening in my life. A lot of times, just trying to keep and juggle all the balls into the air. You know, if you're, if you're a parent of young kids and having to figure out school in creative ways and getting to work, you understand what that's like. Right? Who's going to get the dinner tonight? Who's picking up who from ballet? And it's like, it feels like you're in this rat race of trying to make things happen every through the day. And you get to like 10 o'clock at night and you just pass out. And then you wake up and you do it again. It's kind of what I think about when it comes to, to what he's talking about, cares and worries. It's not just like, well, there's something happening and I'm kind of dealing with this thing. It's like a, a state of, of having so many things to care for that, I, that Jesus is not even on my radar. There's just other things. And I, I'm just, honestly, because I'm worried about it and anxious, I'm just feeding the weeds. I'm just feeding them. The more I worry about them, the more things there are to worry about. And then he calls out Riches. I make a point to say that riches can be a weed for a wealthy person or a person with no wealth. Because it's an underlying belief that if I just have more resources, then I can shape my life the way that I want to shape it. It goes back to that autonomy thing, right? And riches on the surface can seem like a great thing. God, I, if you would just give me a little bit more, there's so much I could do for your kingdom, I, just, I could be more hospitable if I could buy a bigger house. I could bring people in. Like you, can, you can find a million ways to justify good things that are going to produce good fruit if you just give me a little bit more. It's just more weeds. It's just more weeds growing up, though. Those weeds are not going to produce godly fruit because often they're coming from selfish motives. Pleasures. Instant gratification. How can I be happy now? I know that Jesus promises godly fruit, a, a life that is different than I've ever experienced, a joy that is lasting, satisfaction that cannot be taken from me. I know that, and I know that that's something that is out there for me, but for now I can get this, and it's going to make me feel at least a little bit happier than I am. And you can fit any kind of thing into that category. See, life in the kingdom gives me answers that the world doesn't have when it comes to the weeds that tend to grow in my heart. When my heart says worry, Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Do you know what that does to your worry? When you cast those cares on him, it's like you walked over and grabbed a big old fistful of weeds and you ripped it out of the ground. I'm not giving any more life to you or to you, certainly not to you. That soil is for the Lord to grow things in. And when the world tells me that I just need a little more resources, the kingdom tells me they can't save me and I can't keep them. Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. That wasn't like a trite little saying that Jesus said. He's like, if you want to understand 
what true value and true reward is. Let your reward be when you stand before me that day made complete and then you'll understand the fruit that I was working in you. Don't waste your time in trying to hoard up things. They're not gonna give you that. And pleasure. Pleasure is the biggest lie that says there's only now. And Jesus says, we can have the rest of eternity. I'm not done. See, the Spirit is faithful enough to identify and discern the weeds in our hearts. But he will not force us to pull them out. Pulling the weeds means that I have more opportunity to experience the mature fruit of a life that is fed by the gospel. It affects my identity. I'm firmly rooted in the work of Christ, not my own works. It affects my hope. It is set on him alone. That's why we can have hope in spite of circumstances like what we experienced this past week. It's not grounded in the circumstance. I can be satisfied with his provision on the promises that he says that I will be prepared for every good work. I will have what I need to do what he calls me to do. That's a promise you can take to the bank. Don't make the mistake of telling the Lord what the price tag should be. Because he paid it all. And he has it all. And he's going to give you exactly what you need to do what he wants you to do, to produce fruit, not weeds. God can work with soil like this good soil it describes, a soil that is holding his word fast in an honest and a good heart. But notice that it says it bears fruit with patience. Just like a cornfield doesn't grow corn overnight. Those weeds are certainly happy to grow up overnight. And there's a lot more work to pull all of them out, but that corn is slow and it's methodical and it's drinking deeply. But what may appear to be that nothing is happening, all of a sudden there's ears of corn growing off the sides of this stalk. You're like, where in the world did that come from? And that is how the word of God changes people. It's not fast all the time. It's slow and methodical. And the Holy Spirit is slow and intentional to expose. Does it show all the things at once? That'd be overwhelming. That'd be overwhelming. He's patient to just bring one thing to my attention. And maybe today, maybe there's today, there's one thing that he's brought to your attention. What are you going to do about it? Remember I told you the big idea was that the cultivation of our hearts will determine the fruit in our lives. I'm going to leave you with this quote. This is from a pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt. It's from his book, Gospel Fluency. It says this, when I am not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, my life is not, or my life is not resembling the life of Jesus, then clearly my mind is not set on the Spirit. That means my mind is not in submission to Christ. Whatever is in submission to Jesus Christ, note this, begins to look like Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit. Friends, here's the reality is that we are all growing something in our hearts. 
There's something growing there. Sometimes that, that we're not exactly sure what that is. Or sometimes we don't have the foresight to look and be honest with ourselves to say, does this belong here? Like we need to take a walk today to the proverbial cornfield of our heart and take inventory of the soil. Are there any spots that are hard that you would say today, Lord, open up my eyes. Break down my pride and my arrogance. God, tear me afresh if I need to, God, because what I need is more of you and I need you to be able to get in there. I need to hear from you. God, as your word is spoken clearly, let me listen. God, as I'm tempted to find my foundation on things that do not matter, that do not last, they're blocking the faith that you want me to have to see the fruit that you offer. And God, there's so many weeds, so many weeds. Give me the strength, the boldness today to take a bold step of action so that I might be ready to grow what you want to grow in me for your sake and for your glory. Amen? Let's worship.